Well, good evening. I'm, I'm sitting there earlier with my wife, Joyce, and I'm looking around, and I'm realizing this is the very first time I have ever been in this building. It is the very first time I have ever been here to Boulevard. Now, the last time I was down south Florida, which has been a number of years, I think the last time we were down in, in southern Florida was in the 90s, 90, 91, like that. And I think we were at Fort Lauderdale. I think we were at uh, Hollywood. But I don't think we ever got a chance to get over to Boulevard. So I am deeply honored to be here, to be at this small little pulpit. And, and it's a little bit intimidating. No, no, we'll make this one work. It's, it's a bit intimidating because you recognize how many great men of God have stood here in this, in this room and shared and shared to you from, from the Word of God. And uh, it is a bit intimidating. It's like going back to Emmaus after having studied there for, for, for several years and being away for several years and being invited back to come speak at a chapel. And you look, at the, you look out at the audience and you have all these professors out there sitting that you sat underneath their instruction for years and now you're going to be teaching them something from the Word of God. That's an intimidating thing. And to go to Arbor Oaks even now, to stand there and see Daniel Smith and to see some of the others sitting in the audience listening to you. But those men have always been so encouraging to us young ones as we've come up through the ranks. And so, we're, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here with you tonight. Let's open our Bibles to begin with to Romans chapter 8. Now, we're just going to start there. I want to be thinking through some things with you tonight. I'm going to be thinking through some things with you tonight that have been going through my heart and mind for over a month now. I don't know if I have them all completely sorted out yet, but we're going to think through some of those things again this evening. And we're going to start here in Romans chapter 8, a very familiar portion of the Word of God to all of us. Now, we have just come through those wonderful portions in 6, 7, in the beginning of 8, dealing with the victory that we have over the power of sin in our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to get to verse 12, and for time's sake, we're just going to read 12 through 18 this evening. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the desires of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now I want to flip over to First Peter for just a moment. To First Peter... And we're going to just read a couple of verses here as well. Let's begin at verse 3 again. Very familiar verses to us all. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Then over to verse 24, a verse that we read last night in our, in our closing time at the conference. It says, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, in the two passages that we read, the one in, in Romans and, uh, and the one here in First Peter, we are drawn to this inheritance. And we all really enjoy those verses, don't we? To recognize that we have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And as sons of God, by the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, and we have this intimate relationship with the Lord because of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we have an inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that is a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It is a wonderful thing to know those truths. And we love to listen to them. We love to hear them. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, then since we are children, we are heirs. And that is a wonderful truth. And then the Apostle arrests us with a little phrase. And I think if we're reading through this too quickly, and we're enjoying so much what we have in Christ, and this inheritance that is ours in Christ, that one day we will experience that if we are enjoying that too much, that we can miss this little phrase. Miss this little phrase. He says in verse 17, if we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified together with Him. If we suffer with Him, we may be glorified together with with him. That is a conditional clause. And that conditional clause, I was I was sharing sharing some thoughts along this line with some folks up at uh, up in Kansas City where Steve Price is. I spoke at a conference up there for the youth of, uh, a few weeks back. And we got to that little phrase and we recognized that this is a conditional clause. The first part of it is not. It's a, it's, a, it's a 
conditional clause, but of a fulfilled condition. Since we are children of God, since we are sons and daughters of God, no question, no doubt, we will inherit all of these things. And then he adds this little conditional clause. And it, and it causes us to... Causes, it causes me inside to just shudder a little bit. I was, I was, when I was first thinking about these things, I'm at my daughter's house, and I'm sitting on her nice, comfortable couch. I have my legs up in the early morning. i got a nice cushion at my back. I have a nice cup of, of Starbucks, Starbucks uh, Gold Coast coffee in my hand, and I'm sipping these things, and I'm reading through these, and I'm enjoying what I'm reading. I'm enjoying all of those things. And all of a sudden, that clause hit me. If you suffer with Christ, and I'm looking at my cup of coffee, I'm looking at my legs up on this nice, comfortable chair, and I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh. If, if we suffer with Him. And that is not a conditional clause of a fulfilled condition. It is a conditional clause. If we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together with Him. We must carefully examine this. We must carefully examine this phrase. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together with Him. Now, two different words are used, and I already related, to, related that to you. Those two different words are used. They're obviously related terms for that, for that little word, if, that word begins that conditional clause. They're obviously related words, but they're different. Different clauses. And we come to that second phrase, suffering with Him. This becomes a deep concern for me. I don't know if you're concerned about this, but I'm concerned about this. And this is what I've been thinking through over the last month. What does this mean? What does it mean if I suffer with Christ? I will be glorified together with Him. Does this mean then, if I, if I am not suffering with Christ, then I will not be glorified together with Him? That is the indication that is here, isn't it? Because of the condition of this, this little clause. Turn back to 1 Peter for just a minute. Let's go back to 1 Peter into a little bit different section than we just read. We'll read from chapter 4. And let's read from verse 12 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glorified with Him with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their party is blasphemed, on your party is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. For time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Here we have that phrase, suffering as a Christian. To suffer 
as a Christian. What does it mean? I think we as Americans living in the country in which we live, with all that we have and all the rights that we possess, we really don't understand this concept of suffering. We really don't understand what it means to suffer. Others in this world experience it daily. Others in this world experience daily what it means to suffer for Christ. We know of some. We've been praying for some that we know are suffering because of their stand for Jesus Christ. We in this country study it. We in this country understand its meanings. But to experience it where the real learning takes place, we have not experienced it. Oh, we experience it some. Maybe in a minimal way we experience what it means to suffer. But we do not experientially understand what it means to suffer with Christ or to partake of His sufferings. Or perhaps, perhaps we just misunderstand or minimize the meaning of this suffering with Christ. Maybe we just don't understand or we minimize what it means to suffer as a Christian or to suffer with Christ. For suffering with Christ can be on many different levels and it can be experienced in many different ways. Would you agree with that? It can be on many, many different levels and in many, many different ways we can suffer. This is different, I think, than trials that come our way. This is different than trials. We all face trials in our, in our spiritual walk, right? The Lord puts testings and trials in our way, and through those testings and trials, He builds us, He encourages us, He strengthens us in our faith as we walk through trials and times of testings. But that is different than suffering as a Christian and suffering for Christ. Nor is it general suffering in the sense that all humanity suffers. We all get sick. We all have diseases. We all die. We all have all of these things in common with all of mankind. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, suffering can come into our lives. It can come into our lives suddenly, unexpectedly. We can get a phone call and it turns our life upside down. But that is kind of general suffering, isn't it? That all mankind experiences. Now, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ face those times of suffering far differently than the world faces them. And those times of trial and testing the Lord uses in our lives. And there's no question about that. The Lord will use these things in our lives to build us and to encourage us in our faith. But we all suffer. We suffer in different ways. The word that is used here, to suffer with, is a word that means to feel pain together. To feel 
pains together, to suffer evil, to suffer persecution, to, to suffer troubles in a like manner with someone else. That makes sense, doesn't it? To suffer with. Now, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are to suffer with one another. Right? We suffer with one another. We are told to feel one another's pain. To suffer alongside one another. So if one of our brothers and sisters is suffering, and regardless of what kind of suffering that is, we come alongside and we weep with those who weep. Right? You've experienced that, haven't you? Have you experienced it? If not, you're going to sometime along the way. Because someone very close to you who is a believer, one who knows the Lord, one day is going to be at that point in his life or her life where they are dealing with a very serious situation and you're going to come alongside and your heart is going to be broken with them and you're going to weep with them. My cousin, Jim, he's my very best friend and my cousin has gone through a tremendous deal of personal suffering over these last couple of years. His two, two of his sons who were raised in the assembly back home and were raised up uh, hearing the things of God, learning the things of God, went to Christian schools, had all of those things and walked away from the things of God, got involved in drugs, got involved in alcohol, got involved in all of those kind of things. My cousin worked with him, worked with him over and over and over to try to get him through these things. And he loves the Lord and he knows the Lord and he's trying to work these kids through these things. And and the process of time, one day he goes down into his basement and he finds one of his sons hanging by his neck in his in his bedroom. And he puts his arms around him and he lifts him up and takes him down and his body is still warm. That's pain. That pain never goes away. That pain never leaves you. That was a couple of years ago. And my cousin accepts it. My cousin understands that that even as they were praying that the Lord would do something, the Lord allowed these things to transpire. And his father dies. Then his brother is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Just died a few, a few weeks ago after like a month from the time he was, was uh, diagnosed to the time he passed away. His younger brother passed away. His younger son in a hospital because of his alcoholism. He was on the verge of dying in the hospital because of his alcohol problems. And he has gone through all of this suffering. And you know, all you can do sometimes is just sit with him and put your arms around him and weep with him. It's all you can do sometimes. Because all the platitudes don't help. We all have our little sayings we like to say, all the things we think is so encouraging, but in the final analysis, all they need to know is that you love them and you're there for them. 
You see, Job went through that experience and he had his friends come along and they came along with all their high spiritual platitudes and it helped Job greatly, didn't it? It helped him not one bit. He needed to experience God. And my cousin over this time has been experiencing the presence of the Lord in his life. It's difficult for us living in the society in which we live and this goes beyond this kind of suffering now, weeping with one another. I want, to bring, I want that point to stick with you, this idea of when we suffer with one another, because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. Suffering with one another. We weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, it goes both sides of that. But we're speaking of the suffering side tonight, weeping with those who weep. Now, it's difficult for us to empathize with a suffering brother or sister in China. Am I correct? I mean, we can sympathize, but we cannot empathize, can we? We cannot empathize with a brother who is in a jail in Iran. We cannot empathize. We can sympathize. We can pray for him. But we have not ever reached that level of suffering. We can pray for and sympathize with our brother John Short in a prison in Korea, North Korea right now. And we need to be praying for him, but we do not really understand what that is like. When was the last time you were in a prison in, in North Korea? When was, it, when was the last time you were in a prison in Iran? Raise your hand. We, we cannot empathize with those kinds of situations. We pray for them. We understand the great cost in some measure. Our hearts become heavy. We're burdened for them. But we cannot empathize. But I think it's easier for us to grasp this principle of suffering with Christ I think it's easier for us to grasp this principle of suffering as a Christian if we bring that principle closer to home. If we bring that principle closer to home, that verse that we were speaking about in 1 Corinthians of suffering with one another helps us understand in measure what it means to suffer as a Christian. One of the aspects of it. Because there are, there are many different levels of suffering, as we mentioned earlier. Many different aspects of suffering. But when we think of this suffering together... It helps us to understand, I think, and again, remember, I'm thinking through these things as I'm going along. Thinking through these things over the course of the last, the last month. We all know suffering. We all know what suffering is at one level or another. We all understand the concept of what suffering is with different intensities. We understand that. It's an experiencing together of hardships with one another. As we've just been talking about, this we have all experienced. This we can all empathize with. Because we've all been there to one extent or another. We have all been there. When someone near and dear suffers, 
we suffer with them. I could share some other stories. I'm going to bypass those for now. So what about suffering with Christ? What about suffering with Christ? Do our hearts, as sons of God, do our hearts, as children of the Lord Jesus, or children of God, bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, do our hearts ache at the things that cause the heart of God to ache? Do our hearts mourn at the things that cause the Lord to mourn? Can we feel His emotion of sin? His emotion at sin that is in this world? Do our hearts break at the things that break His heart? Do we see sin that brings Him sorrow and sorrow too? Or have we become slowly desensitized to what sin is? You have, you know. I have, you know, become desensitized to the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And we have compromised with it over and over. Uh, we, we have a little phrase I use in Tagalog when I'm speaking of some of these issues. It is, it is, ang kasalanan ng unti-unti. Ang kasalanan ng unti-unti. It means the sin of little by little. And what does that mean? The sin of little by little means some, sometimes you know, sin grows on us just little by little. And we begin to accept things little by little. If you, uh, the example that we can use is we can go back to early days of television for one example. Let's go back to the early days of television. I've got to watch my watch. If you remember those old black and white shows on television and there's probably about four in this room that will. If you remember those old shows back in those early days, you saw a different sort of morality that was expressed. You never saw a man and a woman get into the same bed together. They always were separate beds, and when they sat on them, they always had a foot or two on the floor. And if they were in bed, they were in twin beds, and not together. And little by little by little, the world and its system brought it closer and closer and closer and closer so slowly that you hardly noticed it was taking place. And then you turn around now and you look and say, how did we get here? I can't even turn on the television because I want to watch a ball game or I want to watch something, but all the commercials that are in between are just disgusting and I can't even bear to look at them. Or can you bear to look at them? Have we become so desensitized that we laugh at them now? At things that would break God's heart, we make light of and laugh at. Things that we would, that, that God or the Lord would never find to be humorous, we find now to be humorous. Think of the brutality that we see. 
Think of the brutality that is in some of the things that maybe we watch. Either on TV or we go to the movies and we watch these things that are so brutal and so sexually driven. And, 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 we, and we shut off our mind to some of it and we say, well, I can see it because I can, I can isolate that part from it and I can just enjoy this part. No, you can't. And little by little by little by little you become desensitized to things that are by nature sinful and we ought not to be a part of. Do you agree? Two people agree. That's, that's good. Do you see where I'm going with this? You understand where I'm going with this? It even comes down into music sometimes and I don't want to go there. But it comes down to the things now that I hear kids singing on the streets. And I think to myself, oh my word. But then I go back to listen to the music that I listen to. And now they listen to it with a different ear. And I say, oh my word. What was I listening to? But then it seemed very soft and gentle because it was the sin of little by little, little by little by little. It was brought in and now some of the things that come in songs and I even hear coming out of Christians' mouths, I, I, I just wonder. It's okay. So do we feel the same things? Do we feel the sorrow that brings Him sorrow? Have we learned to draw lines as a believer in the Lord Jesus? We're going to, wrap, we're going to get back to things. And please kind of stay with me as I'm thinking through this. Do we draw lines any longer? I had a, a good friend up north, and he was in, in a debate with one of, not a debate, but a discussion with one of his fellow teachers in the school system. And they, she was asking him, knowing that he was a believer, came out and asked him what his opinion was on same-sex marriage. And he said, I, I don't think it's right. I think it's wrong. I think it's against the, thing, the Word of God, and I think it's immoral. She just about went ballistic, he said. She said, you know, he said, she just about went ballistic. How can you talk like that? How can you say that? She, he said to her, do you, ever, do you draw lines somewhere? She says, no, I don't draw lines anywhere. If people want to do what they want to do, they're free to do what they want to do. Why should we tell them what they can do and what they can't do? Who made us the moral judges of what is right and wrong? Why should we draw those kind of lines in people's lives? He said, okay, I understand where you're going. So, if a, if a 40-year-old man wants to come now and have sexual relationships with their 12-year-old daughter, that's okay? That's awful! She goes, that's horrible! Why would you even say something like that? It's disgusting! So you do draw lines. You do draw lines. Every one of us draws lines. Thus far and no further. But the line keeps moving. The line keeps moving. And it keeps being accepted and accepted and accepted. We're now in even some mainline denominations. What used to be just a few years ago used to be forbidden is now accepted in the name of tolerance. Things that would break the Lord's heart are being introduced into mainline denominations and allowed in the church. In the church. So do we draw lines? We must draw lines. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, must draw lines. 
We must draw lines. And we must draw them where the Scripture draws them. This is our standard. We dare not move the standard. This is the standard. The Word of God must remain our standard. Not just a study guide, but a life guide, a standard by which we must conform our lives. So what things in today's society causes our Lord pain? What things in our own life cause Him grief? What things do we do in our own lives or perform in our own lives cause the Lord to sorrow and the Spirit of God to be grieved? I don't know your life. And that's one of the wonderful things about coming to a place you've never spoken before where you don't know anybody. You have such freedom to say whatever you want and no one can say I'm stepping on toes because I don't know whose toes I'm stepping on. I have no clue. So I have a freedom to speak what the Lord lays on my heart and I don't have to worry about, oh, He knows my situation. He's speaking to me. No, I'm not. I don't know any of your situations. I don't know anywhere you are in your life. But what things in society cause Him to grieve? Are we a source of His suffering? Are we a source of His suffering? Or do we suffer with Him in these areas of compromise? Suffering with Christ means to me far more than just the suffering of persecution because of our faith. It means more than physical suffering. It means more than martyrdom which is suffering at its extreme. And of course, all those things are very much included in suffering for Christ. But it's the day-to-day suffering with Christ. It's the day-to-day suffering as a Christian. We might compare that experience to the experience of Lot. And the experience of Lot that we see as it's described in, in Peter. When the, Lord, when, when the Lord inspires Peter to write in Second Peter... Let's turn to Second Peter. We won't look, read it all completely, but I think it gives us a, a focal point here for what I'm talking about. And, and you may agree with what I'm saying, and you may not. That is your, that is your right to do so. But I think I'm, I'm speaking from the heart, and I'm speaking the things that I believe that I've been, been receiving from the Lord as I've meditated and thought on some of these things. In Second Peter chapter 2, And in the verses from 4 on down, when he begins to speak about Lot. I'm not going to necessarily read these verses, but keep your eyes on them as as I talk. Let your eyes be scanning them. So we might compare what I've been talking about tonight with the experience of Lot. It is the mourning over injustice, the grief over sin. It is the tormented righteous soul that sees and hears the lawless deeds day by day. You and I are born again. Praise the Lord for that. You and I have been made righteous in His sight. We have received the righteousness of Christ. It has been imputed to us. As we walk in this world, as righteous ones, 
Are our hearts tormented day by day by the evil that we see around us? Is your soul tormented day by day as righteous Lot's was? And we know the story of Lot. If we didn't have the New Testament account, we would have a great deal of questions concerning Lot. But the Lord gave it to us. And the Lord says, no, he was a righteous man. And while he was in Sodom and Gomorrah, while he was in that area and living his life, he was tormented over the things he saw and the things he heard. Are you tormented over the things you see sometimes? Now be honest. You don't have to answer, but be honest with yourself. Are you tormented by the things you see? Let's go back to the example I used about television. And by the way, I am not against television. No, don't please go, go around saying, that Ken Hardesty guy, he, he wants us to turn off our TVs and throw them out the door. And that's not what I'm talking about. We just need to use good judgment, I think, in, in some of these things. But think about this. Are we tormented by the things that we see? If we're watching something that torments our soul, there is a solution And it's so much easier today than it used to be. I used to have to get up off the chair and walk across the room and actually turn the TV off. You have a little dial and you just push the little button and it goes, dink, and shuts it off. Or it goes, boom, to another channel. Sometimes when I'm watching something, watching sports, for instance, or watching, and this commercial comes on, boom, boom, I bump to another channel where there's something else on that's not going to distract my mind. Because seeing those things disturbs my soul. And I don't want to be disturbed in my soul. Does it disturb your soul? Did you watch the Super Bowl with the, with the anticipation of seeing some great commercials? And sometimes the things that we see, they're like, why? We were talking about this the other day. I think it was Gary and I were talking about this the other day. The things that now come out as commercials, you look at them and say, what was the point of that commercial? All it had was a slinky girl coming out and, and sliding across the car. I don't know what they were selling. Until they put up the sign. Does it torment us? Does it trouble us? Have we got so used to it that it doesn't bother us anymore? If that's the case, we need to get on our knees and ask the Lord to make our souls sensitive again to sin. Sensitive again to the things that trouble His heart. And trouble his soul. Back to Second Peter again. We as those who are suffering as Christians, suffering as uh, for Christ or with Christ, is it experiencing those who walk about according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority? Is it hearing men and women speaking evil of things they don't understand? Does that torment your soul? Does that make you sorrowful? It did a lot. Does it to us? It is enduring those who carouse in the daytime, who have eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. Does that trouble your heart? Getting some restlessness right now in the room. And that's okay. But do those things trouble your heart? And I know the restlessness is coming because it is 7 o'clock. But that's okay. I'm used to restlessness. Doesn't bother me a bit. 
I live in the Philippines where we have animals walking up and down the aisles. We have chickens that come in and out. We have dogs that wander in from time to time. I had one experience one time where we were changing a building and we had to replace a pole like this that was in the center of the building. And while we were in the middle of construction, that hole from the pole remained in the ground. A little girl walked over to it, saw the little hole, squatted down and proceeded to use it as a toilet. (laughs) So rustling doesn't bother me. Do we, do we suffer? Do we struggle seeing those of our families, those of our neighbors, of our fellow employees, fellow students, forsaking the right way and going astray, and loving the wages of unrighteousness, speaking great swelling words of emptiness? Does it trouble our hearts when we see our family? We see members of our family who care nothing about the things of God. Nothing about the things of God. And they're going astray. And they're heading to a lost eternity. And we know it. Does it grieve our hearts when we remember those who once were with us? Does it it grieve our hearts when we see those who once claimed the name of Christ, who escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, only to become entangled in them and overcome again? Have you known people like that? Have you known those who at one time seemed to be just on fire for the Lord, love the things of the Lord, and now they have gone shipwrecked and they care nothing about the things of the Lord anymore? I am one who does not care too much for what I call flash-in-the-pan Christians. What do I mean by flash-in-the-pan? You know the old muskets that they used to use? The single, you know, the the smooth barrel muskets, and you'd pull back the lever. You, first you'd load the charge down and, and ram the charge home, and then you'd pull back the pan and you'd put a little bit of powder on the pan, and then you'd pull the trigger, and as you pull the trigger, the flint would come over and scratch and make a spark and light that which was in the pan. And that which exploded or burned in the pan ignited what was in the barrel, and it shot out the front. I, know, I have known over the years too many Christians who are a great flash in the pan, but nothing comes out the barrel. For a little while, they're like, whoa, they're the greatest thing on earth and everybody's drawn to them and look at them, they're wonderful and how exciting it is. And a few years later, you don't even see them anymore, you don't know anything about them, they've gone shipwrecked and their lives are ruined. I would much rather see a young man and a young woman who is a slow-burning candle that just burns and burns and burns and burns and burns. Where the flame oh, may not be as quite as bright and exciting as that flash, but it endures and it lasts. And I'd much rather see a slow-burning flame. How did I get there? I don't know. I don't know how we ended up over there. Well, we were talking about family or people that you've known that have gone away. Does it cause your heart to ache? Does it cause your heart to be troubled? Do you ache when you see those who once seemed to escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Christ and are entangled with them again? If these things are true of us, if they are true of us, that we do feel this kind of suffering, that it becomes evidence within our souls that we are sons of God. It becomes evidence within our souls that we are indeed children of a holy God. 
Because these things trouble us. And they cause us sorrow in our souls. And we are experiencing in measure what it means to suffer along with Christ in the things of this world. And since we are experiencing this suffering with Him, we will also be glorified together with Him. We will be glorified together with Him. Now, it's time to examine our own hearts. Time to examine our own hearts in the light of some of the things that were said tonight regarding our own walk with the Lord, regarding how we view what sin is. And sin must always be measured not by our standard, but by His standard in the Word of God. It's time to examine our lives. Are we those who suffer with Christ? Or are we those who cause Christ to suffer? Are we those who suffer with Christ? Do we share in His suffering? Can we maintain our passion for Christ in a world that is hostile to us? Turning away continually from that which is wrong, from that which is evil, being made sensitive again by His Spirit to those things which are bringing sorrow to the heart of our Lord, can we maintain a life of passion for Christ? Does that fire burn in your heart? Do you have a desire to walk closely with the Holy One? Do you have that desire? Then you will suffer with Him. And one day, maybe you'll suffer even in a different way. But all of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ suffer with Him if we see the sorrow and pain in this world and the sin in this world and have our hearts broken at it as His is broken at it. Examine your own hearts, my brothers and sisters. Examine your own hearts before the Lord. And may the thoughts that were shared tonight perhaps stir our hearts to a fresh recognition, a fresh recognition of sin in the things that we see and the things that we hear. And may it be for His glory and for His honor. Father, we give You thanks. We give You thanks for who You are, a holy God, and You have called us to be holy for You are holy. And that means that we must indeed be separating ourselves from the things of this world that are not pleasing to Thee. The things of this world that cause grief to Your heart and sorrow to Your heart. May we be sorrowing as well as at the things that bring You sorrow. May we be grieved and broken hearted at the things that break Your heart in this world as You are reaching out, seeking to win men and women for Yourselves. May we never compromise. May we never compromise. May we hold true to Your Word and the truth of Your Word and the morality of Your Word and not waver from it. And may it be done for Your glory and for Your honor and by the help of Your Spirit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.